0: So, we're going to continue in our series going through the book of Acts together, and I would invite you to open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 is where we're going to be uh, this morning, and uh, just a little bit of a prelude of, of just where we're at, the context of Acts chapter 17. Paul and uh, Silas have gone on a missionary journey to Macedonia. In a dream, God gave Paul this call, this vision, a man in Macedonia praying and pleading, please come and help us. And so Paul and Silas, they set sail. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke set sail to Macedonia, going on now, taking the gospel into Europe. The first place that they went was a town called Philippi. And after having some success there in ministry, uh, the people of the town got very upset with Paul because he had cast a, a demon out of a slave girl and she could no longer tell the future and it was gonna cost her slave owners lots of money. And so they stirred up the city into a big riot. They beat Paul and Silas. They put them in prison At midnight, Paul and Silas were praising the Lord, and an earthquake came and shook the foundations of the prison. God basically used that situation to save the jailer, the the prison guard, and his whole family, and deliver Paul and Silas, and then Paul and Silas are kicked out of town, and Timothy, and they leave Luke behind there to minister in uh, Philippi but Paul and Silas and Timothy they move on and so that's where we pick up the story today Paul and Silas no doubt you know recovering from their beating having been imprisoned and the story then continues so after they left Philippi Acts chapter 17 verse 1 says when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, And joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, that's from the marketplace, in the King James it says they found some lewd men of the baser sort. I just like the way that sounds. They formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. That's where Paul was staying, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they weren't, Paul and Silas and Timothy weren't there at the time, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So they, they basically held Jason for ransom until he had posted bond. He had done nothing wrong. The story continues. Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So they they sent them out of town by night. They kind of hurried them out of town because things were getting too hot in Thessalonica. And so they went on to Berea. And when they arrived, what did they do? They went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word of God with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, They came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us uh, to be people of your word, to be people who follow you, to be people who are confident in you. And Lord, that you would use us as your people, Lord, to expand your kingdom, and to proclaim your gospel and that we would see a harvest in our day and in our families and in our communities. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love what it says here, the accusation that they made against Paul and Silas in verse six. They call them men who have turned the world upside down. What, a what, what, a, what an accusation. What an, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to insult them. They're trying to show that, that these are bad guys. They're saying, look at what Paul and Silas have done. They're turning the world upside down. Now, whatever you think about Paul and Silas, whatever you think about the work that they're doing, you cannot deny that they're having an impact. Because when people make an accusation that you are someone who is turning the world upside down, you're having an impact. You're, you're changing things. You're, you're, cha- you're seeing lives change. You're seeing cultures affected. Cities even that we've seen the gospel move into have been totally transformed by Jesus. And the truth is that they're not actually turning the world upside down. The world is upside down. They're turning the world right side up. Amen? But if you live in an upside down world, someone comes along and starts turning it right side up, you think you're tur- they're turning it upside down. But we, we, live in a, we live in the same world that Paul and Silas lived in. We live in the same world. It's just as, it's just as messed up, it's just as broken. They had idolatry everywhere, they had sexual perversion everywhere, their families were a mess, everything was chaotic. This is the world that we live in too. Now the idolatry of our world isn't Greek goddesses and gods and huge temples. somebody say football? somebody say football? Or am I just hearing things? Okay, somebody said it. Okay, let's go with football. These huge stadiums, right, gathered together. Someone from the ancient world of, of this time, if they, if they came and saw what was happening in these stadiums, you know, pre-pandemic, they would call that a, they would call that a, a worship service. Men devote their lives to studying and, and learning about and, and following people who can throw a, a pigskin you know, very far or, you know, a hundred mile an hour fastball or make some baskets. It, it is idolatry. Whatever your focus is, whatever is number one in your life, is it Christ or is it something else? We live in this world that is upside down and our world needs some people who can turn it right side up. That's what the church is called to be. That's who you and I are called to be. And I think that all of us, we want to be people who make a difference. Amen? We want to be people that have a lasting impact. We want to be people that our lives count for something. Our lives count for something. And so I want to share with you from from this passage three things that I see in the life of, of Paul and Silas, these men who were accused of turning the world upside down. And things that we can look at from their life and that we can apply to our own lives and be used by God to turn our world that is upside down, upside down again, which means that we're turning it right side up. So the first that we see that they are doing is that Paul and Silas, Paul especially as he's the leader here, he is totally surrendered to God. He is 100% totally sold out to God, period, done, finished. Whatever it is that Jesus says, that's what he's going to do. There's no debate. There's no question. There's, no there's got to be some kind of loophole for me to get out of this. Paul is someone who has completely surrendered his life to God. God's calling on His life, the great commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. He has thrown his, his lot into the fire, and he has said, "I am pursuing Christ. No turning back, zero. I'm, I'm going on. I'm pressing on." And so it doesn't matter that he just got out of jail. Like he was just in jail. For preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter that he's been beaten illegally, wrongfully, for doing a good thing. It doesn't matter. Paul continues to press forward and to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter that he starts, everywhere he goes, there's a riot that breaks out. When he goes into Berea... What you know, he doesn't stop and think, you know what, maybe we need to reevaluate the way we're doing ministry here. It seems like everywhere we go, we're getting beat up, we're getting thrown in jail, riots are being started, we're having to leave the city at night. You know, Paul's whole life has been this in the ministry. You, you think about the, the, the places that he's gone. In Antioch, there was persecution and there was violence. In Iconium, there was an attempt on Paul's life. He had to flee in the middle of the night. In Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. Philippi beaten and thrown into jail, now into Thessalonica again. His followers now are are suffering for following Christ, and, and he has to leave at night. And the next day, a couple days later, he shows up in Berea and the first place he goes is back to the synagogue. And the first thing that he does is he begins to preach the gospel. It, it doesn't matter what's happened in the past. This is what Paul wrote about in, in Philippians. If, if you have your Bibles this morning, flip over with me to Philippians. I don't have this uh, passage on the screen today. But Paul writes in Philippians, in chapter 3, he, he lists his resume, which is quite extensive. He says, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4, he says, Though I myself has re- have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. This, this should be the mindset of the mature Christian. Amen? Amen? That, that whatever the price, whatever the cost, whatever, we have totally surrendered to God. And that we will forget what lays behind and that we will press on, we will strain on, we, we, will, we will move forward no matter what because God has called us to be his people. He's given us the Great Commission He's declared that we should be salt and that we should be lights in the world. That we would not be distracted by this or by that. Paul was not someone who was distracted. He was laser focused and surrendered to God. The second thing that we see here is that he has an unwavering confidence in God's word. An unwavering confidence in God's word. Well, what did he do that was turning the world upside down? What did he do? Did he start riots? No. Did he, did he gather a militia to overthrow Rome? No. What, what did he do that was so scandalous, that was so crazy, It was turning the world upside down? He opened the book. He opened the Word. He preached the Scriptures. That was it. That was all he did. Everywhere he went, he opened the Word of God and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had confidence in the Word of God, he had confidence in the gospel. What did he do in, in, in Thessalonica? Well, verse 2 he reasoned with them for three Sabbath days from the Scriptures. What did he do in Berea? He went into the synagogue. Verse 13, they examined the scriptures daily. He he just preached the Bible. He just declared that this is the word of God. And from the scriptures, he proved, verse 3, that Jesus was the Christ and that he had to suffer and raise again. He took the Old Testament scriptures, that's the scriptures that they had at the time, and, and he went to places like Isaiah chapter 53, talking about that the servant of the Lord would have to suffer and would have to die. He went to places like uh, Psalm 22 that talks about how Jesus was, pier- or the, the Messiah would be pierced and and that he would be beaten beyond recognition and that even his own bones would be counted and exposed through the suffering that he endured. You see, uh, the, the idea of a Messiah that would suffer and die was a stumbling block to the Jews. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't contemplate and still to this day they have a hard time contemplating a Messiah, a deliverer that would deliver through death and suffering. But Paul knows that there's power in the word of God. And so he goes to the scriptures and he says, read Isaiah 53, read Psalm 22. The Messiah had to suffer and die. Why? To pay the price for sin, the penalty for sin. The problem in our world, the reason our world is upside down is because of sin. We've all chosen our own way. We've all fallen away from grace. We've all fallen away from God. We've all chosen darkness instead of light. And sin must be paid for. Sin must be atoned for. And so Jesus died and gave his life to pay the price for sin. But he didn't stay dead. Amen. Paul also explains to them and shows them that he must raise from the dead. Psalm chapter sixteen, Psalm uh, one hundred and ten, talks about how that though the, the 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 Messiah will die, that he will not see corruption, that he will be raised again to new life. And so Paul explains this to them, explains it to them clearly. Listen, this is who the Messiah is. This is what he must do. This is the job that is set before him. He must live without sin. He must die to pay the price for sinners. He must raise again to new life. Do you see this? And and they would say, yes, we see this from the scriptures. And then he would say, let me introduce you to Jesus. Let, Let me introduce you to the one who lived without sin. Let me introduce you to the one who died for sinners. Let me introduce you to the one who rose again on the third day in victory, conquering Satan's sin and death and hell, who's ascended to the right hand of the Father, who is returning one day to judge the living and the dead. Let me show you, let me tell you about Jesus. Amen. But it was from the scriptures. It wasn't just his own take. He pointed them to the word of God. This unwavering confidence in God's word. Listen, if you're gonna be somebody who turns the world upside down for Jesus, you're gonna have to have an unwavering confidence in the word of God. An unwavering confidence that the Bible is the word of God and that every word of it is inspired by God and is true. And as they preach this message, they preach that Jesus is seated on the throne, that he is high and exalted, that he's not buried in a tomb, but he is in heaven. And that he rules and reigns with all authority and all power and all dominion. And that he even rules and reigns as the sovereign God over even the governments of this world, including even in their day Caesar and so their message was not simply that Jesus is the suffering servant but that Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords and this is the message that ends up throwing the whole crowd into a riot and and having the the city uh, leaders kick Paul out of town when they hear that he's telling them about another king a king that's above Rome a king that's above Caesar Jesus Christ, the king of kings. And when we are brought into the family of God, when when we become part of the kingdom of God, our first allegiance, our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ above all. Above all. Jesus above all. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And where does this come from? It comes from an unwavering confidence in the word of God. And so if we're going to turn the world upside down for for Christ, putting the world right side up again, we've got to know the word of God. Do you know God's word? Do you know the scriptures? Do you know the gospel? Let me tell you something. There's no shortcuts to knowing the word of God. There's only one way. It's time, T I M E, time. You got to put the time in. You got to spend time in the Word. That's the only way. It's the only way. I wish there was another way. I wish I could plug a USB drive into you and just download everything and you're good to go. All 66 books. That's not the way it works. If you're going to know God's word, if you're going to have this unshakable confidence in the word of God, if you're going to be used by God to turn the world upside down, you've got to put the time in to study God's word. Are you studying God's word? When you look at your day, when you look at your week, where are you spending your time? Where are you putting your time in? Are you investing it into things that matter Eternal things, the things of the kingdom of God? Or are you being distracted by other things? It's easy to get distracted. I get distracted. But we must remind ourselves of why we're here. We're here to change things, we're here to impact our families. And it doesn't start, change, it doesn't start in Washington, D.C. Change starts in the human heart. That's where change starts. With each one, each person, soul by soul, receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're going to be able to share it, if we're going to be able to serve people with the truth We ourselves have to put the time in. You know, if if I could come up with a system of, you know, understanding the Bible in two easy steps, man, I could be a millionaire. You know, people are always looking for shortcuts on this thing. There's no shortcuts. It's just time. It's just time. Time in the word and time in the presence of God you know it's not just it's not just dead dull um intellectualism it's it's praying in the spirit and and seeking the lord in prayer and inviting him in to your time in his word and and asking him to be your teacher and asking him to instruct you flip flip over flip over with me quickly Uh, to Psalms 119, Psalm 119. I'm going to read the whole thing this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) We have another service, so, um, and you guys are smart. You come to the first service because you know I have to end at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Psalm 119, verse 33. This is a prayer we should always pray when we open God's word to spend time in his book. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. What a prayer. What a prayer. Lord, help me to be in love with your word. Lord, let the let the disposition of my heart be towards you and towards your kingdom and towards your word and not to just selfish gain. Not not to just materialism. Not to just focusing on my career and and, and, and me accumulating and making a name for myself and all of these other things. Lord, transform my heart. What a prayer. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. I mean, this guy is writing in a day where the leading technology was paper and pen, right? Like, they didn't have television. They didn't have newspapers. They didn't have radio. They didn't have... Computers, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have Netflix, they didn't have cell phones, right? What, what? (laughs) nevertheless, nevertheless, his prayer is turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, of being distracted, of, of my attention being put on things that do not matter. Listen, if he had to pray that, when would, when, the, when would this have been? A thousand years before Christ? If he had to pray that, okay, then how much more do we need to pray that now? Give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise. That means establish the truth of your word in my heart. Help me to believe the promises of God that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life. So when we talk about spending time in God's word, I'm not just talking about a a cold, dead intellectualism. That's not going to do anybody any good. That's what the Pharisees had. They had everything in their head, but it wasn't transforming their hearts. Now when we come to God's word, we engage with the Holy Spirit. We ask him to move in our heart and in our lives to give us knowledge, to give us understanding, to give us revelation, to transform our hearts. That's what all of us need, heart transformation, all the time, every day. And that's what our world needs is a transformation of the heart. Do you know the scriptures? Do you know the gospel? Do you have an unwavering confidence in God's word? You say, I'd like to be someone who is used by God. You got to get in the word of God. My great grandfather was a missionary. He started churches and Bible schools all over the world. At a graduation of one of his Bible schools, he asked the Bible school students this question, the graduating class. He said, How many of you have read through the Bible 100 times? They all laughed, they all chuckled. Read the Bible a hundred times, goodness gracious. He said, how many of you have read the Bible 50 times? They all kind of shifted in their seats nervously because they could see where this was going. How many of you have read the Bible 20 times? Silence. How many of you have read the whole Bible 10 times? Five times? Three times? Two times? One time? When they were finally fully under conviction, He said this, God only wrote one book. Read it through, pray it in, work it out, pass it on. God only wrote one book. It's not complicated. Where's the truth found? In the word of God. You wanna have something to share with somebody that will impact their destiny? that will turn their world upside down. It's not just gonna be retweeting and reposting. It's gonna be the truth of God's word. Paul had this unshakable confidence in the word of God. And so everywhere he went, that is where he took people. That is where he pointed people. And it turned the world upside down. Thirdly, these men trusted in God above all else they trusted in God not only did they surrender to God not only did they trust in God's word but they trusted in God the outcome they left it up to him so Paul will write things like some people plant seeds other people water seeds but it's God who brings the increase we leave the results up to God. We trust God with the results. And so they had this idea, they had this thought that propelled them that no matter what the outcome is, we trust that God is sovereign. We know that God is sovereign, and so we will trust in God. So beaten up in Philippi, stoned in Lystra, run out of the city in Iconium, riot in Thessalonica, he goes into Berea, They don't pull a huddle together. They don't say, hey, let's just debrief here and maybe we need to tweak our methods. Maybe there's some things we could do to the message that makes it a little less offensive. No, they walk into the city. Where's the synagogue? Okay, they march right in, they open the book, and they get right back to what God had called them to do because they trusted in God. They trusted in God. God had called them to preach Christ, so they preached Christ, period. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. They were willing to pay the price, whatever the price was, to follow Christ because they trusted in God above all else. They were willing to take up their cross. They, they were willing to lay everything aside, totally surrender to God, total confidence in God's word, and totally trusting in God as sovereign. What's amazing to me is that everywhere they went, simultaneously, things went really, really good and really, really bad. At the same time. So they go in and they preach. And it tells us these people are saved. A lot of this type of people are saved. And this group of people are saved. And then people got jealous and beat them up and ran them out of town. And it's just repeat. Rinse, wash, repeat. Again, again, again. Things going really, really awesome. And really, really bad at the same time which is kind of a a dichotomy, if you will. But they were willing to suffer. They were willing to endure the bad to see the kingdom of God expanded. They were rejected from their culture. They were slandered by even their close allies at times. They lost friends. They were under the threat of violence and persecution. Jason, this new convert... Paul was only in Thessalonica for three weeks. Three weeks. This guy Jason who invited them into his house, he's having to pay money to get out of jail. All he did was have them over. The price of following Christ. Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price? Do we trust what the Bible says, that God is a rewarder of those Who seek him. Do we believe that? Do we like Paul believe that whatever we leave behind. Whatever we must lose for the sake of Christ. That we really don't lose in the end. That there are rewards in the kingdom of God. That Jesus is a rewarder of those who seek after him and pursue him. Do we really believe that? You see Paul believed that. Paul, Paul knew that whatever he lost, that God would repay him. Well, whatever he suffered, that, that God would repay him. He, he knew that. He had this, again, confidence in the word of God and trusting in God above all else. I would encourage you to read 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Read through these short books this week as Paul was rushed out of town. He, he only spent three weeks with these people. Can you imagine that? Planting a church in three weeks? The whole city's in uproar and he has to leave? He can't go back? So he writes them this letter. It's beautiful. You gotta read it. It's awesome. Eventually, he sends Timothy back to check and see how they're doing. Did they survive? Did the church continue? Were they overwhelmed? Did the work of Christ, was it, for, was it all for nothing? And Timothy goes in and he visits with them and he finds out that they're remaining faithful to the Lord, that the church is even growing and expanding after three weeks. But at the same time, there's also persecution. People in the church had died. And so Paul writes to them about the return of Christ in First Thessalonians. You should read it. It will be a blessing to you. So if we want to make an impact in our world and in our culture, which I believe that we do, if we want our lives to count for something, if we want to put the world right side up again, even though we may be labeled as people who turn the world upside down, we have to ask ourselves these questions. Have I fully surrendered to Christ? Have I fully surrendered to Christ? Do I have an unshakable confidence in the word of God, a a confidence that presses me into studying God's word and devoting myself to the teaching of scripture in my own life, to, to seeking to have God transform me through his word so that I might share it with others. And then finally trusting in God above all else.